Good morning, everybody. I bring you greetings from Damascus International Fellowship, uh, where our pastor is the Reverend James Porter Broughton III. He was here with you last week, and uh, just wanted to say hi to you on his behalf and on behalf of our congregation. We have a few Damascus members in the house, as well as our praise team. And I'm also here with my wonderful, supportive husband, Reverend Blake Johnson. And so I was told I only have a few moments, so we're going to get right into it. Okay. So um, I invite you, if you're able, to stand with me for the reading of Scripture. And I'll be reading from the New English Translation from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. And it reads as follows. Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day and having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace, and in all of this, by taking up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The word of the Lord is already blessed. Let us pray. Glorious, wonderful Father, we thank you, Lord God, for this blessing of this time. And we thank you, Lord God, that it is you who has gathered us together as one body. We thank you, Lord God, for this moment where we can be able to experience you through the word. And we ask, Heavenly Father, that you would cause us to have a fresh encounter with you, an encounter that would cause our minds to be renewed and our hearts to be transformed. We pray, Lord God, that you would be with us as we hear this word, that we would not just be hearers, but that we would also be doers of the word. I ask, Heavenly Father, that you would preach to me as you preach to your people, that you would bring forth new life, new hope, as we hear your message of peace. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, when I spoke to the congregation at 8.30, I promised them that I would make you Uh, do the full survey, and I would make you confess and raise your hands. Um, But I was thinking about it, and I decided, yeah, that's probably not fair. Maybe I'll save it for the 1145 group. (laughs) So you can raise your hand if you want to. But um, I just wanted to start off by letting you know that the the title of my sermon is The Power of Truth. And I'm sure most of you have heard the statement that says the truth will set you free. Whether you're a believer in Christ or not, we love that statement. And the main reason why we love it is because it's the truth. We just love the truth. But for those of you who are familiar with scripture, you know that that phrase comes from the Gospel of John, and it comes from chapter 8, verse 32. 32. Truth is something that we all value no matter who we are. Whether we're believers in Christ or not, we value the truth. And the reason why we value the truth is because the truth has power. The truth has the power to set you free. 
That is the truth. Why do we value the truth? Well, I think we value the truth for one simple reason. We value the truth because we cannot stand lies. Researchers claim that on average, we are lied to anywhere from 10 to 200 times per day. They can be little white lies, half-truths, fibs, exaggerations, false advertising, or fake news, whatever you want to call it. We get lied to often. And we contribute to that process because research says that on average, we lie twice a day. I can prove it. Here, how many of you have a cell phone? You can raise your hands for that one. How many of you with a cell phone have ever not answered a call and said it's because you didn't hear the phone? <laughs> That's a lie. <laughs> How many of you have looked at your spouse or your significant other when they say to you, honey, do these jeans make me look fat? <laughs> and you say, baby, you look as good as you did the day that I met you. <laughs> now, for some of you, you're telling the truth. I know when my husband says that he's telling the truth. <laughs> But for some of you, <laughs> my point is we all lie. <laughs> and the reason why we don't like lies is because lies can ruin relationships. Why? Because when lies are revealed, or when the truth is revealed, then, sorry, because lies cause problems when the truth is revealed. That is why we don't like lies. Like I said, no matter who we are or where we come from, we don't like lies, and that is the truth. But the good news, there's always good news. That's the thing I love about God. The good news is that lies have limited power. The mere act of uttering a lie has no power and no impact. So, for example, I can say to you right here, right now, today is Saturday, and today the sky is purple. That doesn't change your life even though that was a lie. Lies only begin to have an impact and they only begin to have power when we start to believe the lie. And this is the reason why Paul spends so much time in the book of Ephesians speaking to them about the truth. Let me break it for you down this way. When you're studying about counterfeit money, the one thing that you do not do is you do not spend every day, single moment of your time looking at the counterfeit. The reason why you don't do that is because counterfeits are always changing. While you're trying to study what they did yesterday, they're coming up with something new for next week. So if you focus on the counterfeit, you'll always be behind. But if you wanna be ahead of the game, what you'll do is you'll invest your time studying what is real. So you'll take that real $100 bill and you'll study everything about it to know the texture of the paper, the color of the ink, where exactly the watermark is, all of the lettering, how they wrote it, and make sure that, first of all, you know that there's a difference between a $100 bill and a $1 bill, but also to know that there's a difference between a real $100 bill and a fake counter, uh, a counterfeit dollar, $100 bill. We study the truth because when you know everything about the truth, then you're easily able to identify the lie. And so Paul tells the people of Ephesians that there is a truth that they need to know and there is a truth that they need to understand, hold on to, and study. And that truth sounds something like this. He says, brothers and sisters in Christ, 
You all know that God himself is power, and you all know that you must be connected to God in order to experience that power. You all know that when you are without Christ, you experience power by connecting with the cosmic forces of darkness. But now that you are in Christ, you no longer need that power that comes from the cosmic forces. Now that you are in Christ, I'm letting you know that the God of the Jews has shown himself to also be the God of the Gentiles. This God is your Father, and he has given you full access to himself through Jesus Christ by the one Spirit. He did this by making both Jews and Gentiles into one group. That is the truth. The truth that Paul is emphasizing is the truth that we are already one and that we have always been one. The truth that Paul is emphasizing is the truth that that has always been in God's plan. Paul wants these faithful people, the people of Ephesus, to now value the truth about unity. But what does unity have to do with Ephesians chapter 6? Ephesians chapter 6 is talking about a battle. It's talking about a struggle. It's talking about the armor of God. But in verse 12, we see that it says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against world rulers of darkness, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. It lets us know that we are not fighting against each other anymore. Why? Because we are now one in Christ. Through Christ, we have been reconciled to God, and through Christ, we are now connected to each other. Basically, what Paul is letting them know is that the, book, the letter of Ephesians is about relationship. Everything that we do in Christ is about relationship. Since the beginning of cre creation, the battle has always been a battle for relationship. If you remember in the book of Genesis when the serpent approaches Eve, he changes God's words just enough to cause her to forget that God's command was really an invitation to be in relationship with him and to be in relationship with each other and with creation. You see, what the serpent allowed Eve to do or caused Eve to do is he caused her to take her eyes off of relationship. If you're in relationship with somebody who gives you everything, wouldn't you want to give them something back? Wouldn't you want to give them something back if they asked for it? For those of you who love candy like I do, if you're given an entire bag of candy, and notice how big my bag is, right? If you're given an entire bag of candy and the person who gave it to you says, can I have one piece? That's not a bad thing for them to ask. But if you take your eyes off of relationship, instead of looking at what you have, you want to keep your eyes on what you don't have. And so your eyes are following that piece of candy as they take it, put it in their pocket, unwrap it, put it in their mouth, and all you can think about is, they took my candy. And you forget that you have this whole bag of candy. That's what Eve did. She forgot that God had said to her, you have everything that I have created. Every single tree that bears fruit or bears seed, it belongs to you. I'm just asking for one tree. But instead of focusing on the orchard, she focused on that one tree and said, God is withholding something from me. And because she said God is withholding something from me, it fractured the relationship. And so Paul is warning the people of Ephesus, and he's warning us as well. He's saying to us, remember that everything is about relationship. Keep your eyes on the relationship, because when you don't, that is how you become tossed and blown around by the deceitful schemes and tricks of the enemy. Paul warns the church of Ephesus and he tells them that God has given us everything and he has reconnected us to himself and given us full access to him. 
and he has reconnected us to each other through reconciliation and unity. And then he reconnected us to creation by pointing us back to our purpose. God has given us an identity, he's given us a relationship, and he's given us a purpose. And in our purpose, God said to Adam and Eve, and he said to Noah, which he also says to us, he says, be fruitful and multiply. And when we hear be fruitful and multiply, we often think about that in terms of numbers. We think about I need to do something so that I can get an increase and I can count it. But that's not what God is talking about. And so he sends Jesus who breaks it down for us in another way so that we can understand it because we didn't get it the first time. And Jesus says, go to all the nations and make disciples. That's how you're fruitful. That's how you multiply. But even when we go on our mission trips, our mission trips are not about just bringing people into the church. It's always about relationship. It's always about helping them to know what motivated you to go to them in the first place. The thing that motivates you to go on a mission trip should be the fact that you understand the truth that we have been given. The truth is that we are one and we have always been one and that has always been God's plan. And so when I speak the truth to you, I'm speaking a message of peace and I'm speaking a message of reconciliation and I'm coming to you with love. When we say speak the truth in love, we're not talking about uh, my brother, my sister, you got a little bit of mayonnaise, right or her. <laughs> that's not what the truth is and that's not how you speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love means that what you're recognizing is that it is love that compels you to share the truth. Because I love you, because I love God, I share the truth with you, with you, which is the truth that we are one. But like I said, the challenge has always been a challenge and a battle for relationship. From the beginning of time, God planned for us to have a relationship, identity, and a purpose. But this identity, purpose, and relationship serves a particular purpose. It serves to be an identifier. If you remember when Jesus was getting ready to go to the heavenly places, it says in Ephesians, he is seated in the heavens next at the right hand of the Father. If you remember before he left the disciples, he said to them, I need you to stay here in Jerusalem until the promised one has come. And when the promised one comes, you will receive power so that you can be my witnesses. That power that we receive is a power that uh, Paul is talking about when he speaks about the overwhelming greatness of God's power, which is now working among us as believers. That power that we receive through the Holy Spirit is a power that allows us to be witnesses everywhere that we go. And that is the truth. The truth is God's power is revealed by our unity. And this is the reason why Paul spends so much time telling the Ephesians who they are. Because when you know who you are, it impacts what you do. Unity is our identity. We were created for relationship. It is this power that is contained in our God-given identity, which Paul says is constantly under attack by the tricks of the devil. If you know anything about scripture, or if you don't feel like reading scripture, you can look at your own life. Whenever God speaks to you about your identity, soon after he says something about who you are, that is when your identity comes under attack. But since this is a sermon, I shall use scripture to prove what I'm saying. When God speaks to Abraham and he says to Abraham, I will make you a great nation, 
The first thing that is challenged is the fact that how can I become a great nation when I don't have a child yet? When he speaks to David and he says, you are my chosen king, the thing that is challenged is how can I be a chosen king when I'm sitting with the sheep in the field? And I'm not sitting with them for one week after I was anointed. I'm sitting with them for many years. When God speaks to Jesus at Jesus' baptism, God says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. But soon after that, the devil comes to, God, to Jesus and he says to him, if you are the son of God. These statements are meant to challenge us and cause us to doubt the identity that God has given us. How can you be the father of many nations without a child? How can you be a king when you're taking care of the sheep? How can you be the son of God when you're sitting in the desert hungry without a kingdom? If we remember that the battle is a battle about our identity, then it takes us to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, where Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. If you're in a war, you need to be equipped for that war. And Paul says, put on the armor so that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So the question becomes, why is this word stand so important? Before you get to the armor, you need to understand what this word stand means. And this word stand has many meanings. It can mean to get up, but it can also mean to lift up. It can also mean to hold your ground, but it can also mean to, hold, to take ground and take territory as you move forward. When we're looking at it in the context of reconciliation, I like to look at it from all of those perspectives. The first thing that you need to do is you need to stand up. If you see me in a problem, you can't do anything about my problem if you remain seated where you are. You have to stand up. It also lets us know about the word justice. The word justice is not the way that we think about it, where if you do something to me, I'm going to take you to all of those court shows that are on TV and brag about our business on TV. I've, I've seen Christians on those TV channels, and it doesn't make any sense. And part of the reason why we do that over and over again is because we don't understand what justice means in God's economy. When God speaks about justice, he's talking about returning somebody to their rightful position. He's talking about, I see you and I recognize your plight. I recognize what you're in. I recognize that we live in a sinful world. And because I recognize all of this, but because I know your God-given identity, I also know that you're where you are either because somebody who didn't know their identity put you down in a different place from where you should be, or because you didn't know your identity, you fell down into a place where you shouldn't be. And so because I recognize that I also come from that place where God has forgiven me and God's justice has elevated me so that now I too am seated at the right hand of the Father, then when I come to you and I stand wearing my full armor, I'm not coming to fight with you. I'm coming to fight for you. The picture that comes to mind is a picture of uh, my favorite movie or one of my favorite movies because there's three of them, Taken 1, 2, and 3. Right? <laughs> Where uh, <laughs> I think I can't remember if it was taken one or if it was taken two, but I, I love the part where uh, the, the daughter has gone on a trip. I think she's in France, and she's in her room, and someone breaks into the room, and she quickly runs to her bedroom and she hides under the bed and she calls her dad, and she says, "Dad, there's some people in this house," and he says, "This is what you're gonna do. 
and he tells her what she should do. And what he tells her is because of who he is and who she is to him. And then he says to her, now give the phone to the bad guys. And he says to them, this is who I am. This is who she is. This is who you are. And this is what's going to happen to you. When you know your identity, it impacts what you do. And so Paul says to us and to the church of Ephesians, know who you are so that when the powers and the principalities come against you and they try to take your brother and your sister captive, and I'm not talking about brother and sister as in the person who was born of the same mother or father of you. I'm talking about the people who are sitting next to you. I'm talking about the people who are in other churches who are also believers in Christ. We are all brothers and sisters. And so when you look at what they're going through and you say, I see my brother and my sister is hurting. I see my brother and sister is in pain. I put on the full armor of God because like Liam Neeson, I know who I am. I know who they are. I know who my father is. I know who the enemy is. And I know what's going to happen to the enemy. And I know what I'm going to do. And I know what's going to go down right now. Part of the challenge we face, though, is because, like I said, we focus too much on what we don't have instead of focusing on what we do have. When we focus on what we don't have, we also start to focus on the fact that we are different. It is a reality. I'm a different complexion from a lot of you in this room. That's the truth, right? We can't deny it. It's the truth that people who come from the country where I grew up speak a different language from you. That's the truth. And so what we start to do is we start to focus on these differences and we start to question, well, why do I need to be one with somebody who is different from me? And it goes back to what I said earlier, that it has always been God's plan for us to be one. We focus on the fact that we speak different languages and part of the reason why we get confused, like I said, is because we have perverted the gospel. Instead of preaching a gospel of reconciliation, instead of preaching a gospel of peace, we have preached a gospel of numbers and increase. And so when I look back at Genesis and I'm not looking at it from the perspective of relationship, when I think about the Tower of Babel, I say God did that. God separated us on purpose, therefore we need to remain separate. But if I look at it from relationship, and I look at it from the perspective of love, and I look at it from the perspective of identity and purpose, what I realize is God had always intended for us to increase, which means I need to move in order to do it. But at the Tower of Babel, what they did is they decided to stay in the same place. So because God loved us, and out of his love, he said, I want you to be who I created you to be, he scattered them by giving them different languages. Because sometimes when you're dealing with a child, you have to do something that forces them to do what you want them to do for their own good, right? So he scattered them. And when they scattered, that is how they ended up moving forward to the ends of the earth. We see this again in Acts. When Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes, they stayed. And then they stayed. They forgot about the part where he said, go to the ends of the earth. And so God had to scatter them 
using the persecution. It doesn't mean God caused the persecution. It doesn't mean that God caused them to stay in one place to build the Tower of Babel. But it does mean that God, who is able to make all things work together for the good of those who love them, used those situations to say, I'm going to set you back on course. And so at the end of the day, we realize that being on purpose means that the language that separates us is not the important thing. The important thing is that our differences reflect the glory of God. Our differences are meant to point to the fact that God is the most amazing, that he is the most powerful, that he is more powerful than all of these principalities and rulers that come against us. And so when we understand that, then we realize that the one common language that we speak is the language that Paul talks about in Ephesians, and he says that it's the language of kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. Those things are universal. And so at the end of the day, when you think about, do I like my Christmas decorations before or after Thanksgiving? <laughs> I no longer use that as something that'll separate us. I did try to bond with some young people based on the fact that we all like our decorations after Thanksgiving, but then I thought about it afterward, and I said, when I'm doing that, then I'm distancing myself from everybody else who likes them before, right? <laughs> It's the same thing when we think about sweet potato pie versus pumpkin pie. We're not separate just because you like one thing and because I like the other. What we realize is that the oneness has always been there and the oneness is something that we need to hold on to. And so when you stand in, in recognition of that, then you put on the armor of God, you realize that the armor of God serves one purpose and it serves to protect the truth that we have been given. It, the belt protects our oneness The breastplate protects our heart, which has now been softened by God to allow us to embrace each other. The helmet of salvation protects everything that we know about Jesus Christ and everything that we know about the power that he has that has reconciled us and pulled us out of darkness into his marvelous light. The shoes that we wear help us so that we can stand firm. And remember, standing is about me standing up for your benefit and lifting you up for our benefit so that I can stand in that gospel of peace and continue to move forward, not by myself, not for myself, but with you. I don't leave you behind. And then I hold on to that shield of faith, recognizing that God is my shield and he is my great reward. And every single piece of faith that I have in him reminds me that he has all power in his hand and nothing can defeat him. So if nothing can defeat him, nothing can defeat me. And so I hold on to that sword, which is the word of God, which is the truth that Paul has been saying, which is the truth that I've been telling you, which is what? That we are all one. Hold on to that oneness. Don't let it go. Amen. Amen.